So there are different kinds of equanimity and different aspects to the development of equanimity along the path. This morning we spoke about one kind of equanimity, this um, balance with the changing conditions of our lives. This sense of letting sickness and health, praise and blame, failure and accomplishment flow through our awareness and our life without getting caught up in them. And so this is on kind of a macro level, right? The events and the meanings of our life and recognizing with wisdom their nature, that they're impermanent, that they change, and so not getting... uh, not getting as spun out, as attracted or repelled by them. As we begin to look more deeply into the mind and into the nature of our life as humans, we see that these... um, Habits of feeling attracted and repelled to experience, of trying to control or manipulate or resist what's happening, is based on the level of pleasure or pain that we experience in our heart and in our body. And so, from the, from the Buddhist perspective, a human life is made up of six different kinds of sensory experience. So there's the eye, which sees forms, and then then with that contact of a visual object in the eye, seeing arises, and that that seeing can be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And there's the ear, which hears sounds. And when a sound touches the ear, There's contact, and hearing consciousness arises. We become aware of hearing. And that that point of contact of hearing can be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And based on that kind of agreeable or disagreeableness of of the sense contact, the mind reacts. It responds with either grasping, wanting more, or pulling away, or ignoring Yeah, yeah, it's, it's rooted in some ways biologically. Well, we do have choice, actually. All right, at one level, there's a basic biological response to pleasant and unpleasant because it's, it's hardwired in terms of the, the way our organism is structured is to seek pleasure. The things that we generally experience as pleasant biologically are things that are going to be nourishing or meet our needs. That's why fatty and sweet foods seem so pleasing because when we were evolving, we didn't know where the next meal was coming from. So getting a lot of calories in a, in a short amount was really good you know, to stock up on that. So the same thing with the, the nose and the tongue and the body. 
at each sense door, and then the mind, the heart and the mind, which experiences thoughts, emotions, and meanings, perceptions and meanings. So we can train our mind to study this point of of contact between the mind, the body, and sensory experience and internal mental experience. And this is where the quality of equanimity uh, becomes what's known as a factor of awakening. It's actually a very potent quality of mind, uh, ability to be balanced and non-reactive in the face of changing experience, in in spite of the pleasant or unpleasant, the agreeable or disagreeable nature of our experience. So equanimity is generally considered a fairly advanced quality in Buddhist practice. For those who have studied some of the templates or maps in Buddhism, you know that equanimity always comes at the end. So for example, in the four Brahma Viharas, these um, beautiful emotions of the heart, love, compassion, joy, and equanimity, it comes at the end. We'll be looking at that a little bit tomorrow. In the seven factors of awakening, equanimity is the last. In the ten paramis, the ten qualities of perfection in the heart, generosity, ethical integrity, renunciation, energy, wisdom, patience, truthfulness, loving-kindness, determination, equanimity is the last. It's the, the last of the ten. So there's this sense that it's, it's, a, it's a quality that matures and comes to fruition further along in our spiritual development. So the tendency in life is to get fixated and entranced with what we're experiencing with the sights and the sounds and the smells and the tastes and the touches and the meanings, the thoughts and the feelings that we have to get really focused on what we're experiencing. As equanimity grows, the mind becomes less fixated, less entranced with the specific content of our experience, with what's happening, and more interested in how it's relating. Is the mind at peace or is it agitated? What's the quality of the mind? Is there a quality of stillness, of peacefulness, of non-reactivity? Or is the mind getting pushed and pulled around by the pleasure and displeasure of changing experience? So that, that movement of the heart begins to quiet as equanimity grows. I had a a very um, mundane yet profound experience of this on retreat one time. I was sitting a long meditation retreat in Barrie, Massachusetts at the Insight Meditation Society. And uh, there was another practitioner who took it upon himself to uh, suck on candy during the silent meditations in the hall. 
And during the walking periods, kind of clicking and sucking noises. And this really disturbed me. Very unpleasant sounds to my ear. So for many days, I was fighting with the unpleasantness of the sensory experience, the, the grating against my ears and feeling hatred inside <laughs> against you know, these sounds and this person who was making these sounds. Mind gets very, very funny on long, silent retreats. Things, what happens is that as our distractions fall away, the heart gets very sensitive. We start to feel things very, very deeply. And this is, the, this is part of the point, is that we, we come in contact with how vulnerable and how open our organism really is. And we start to feel the impact of sensory experience. And this is how equanimity develops, that we begin to notice when there is pleasure or displeasure, how the heart responds, how the, um, how the mind rebels against that which is unpleasant. So one day I was doing walking meditation. This particular individual happened to be in the same walking hall, happened to be sucking on hard candy, <laughs> making those same smacking, clicking noises. And at a certain point, from studying the reactivity, studying the resistance, and feeling how exhausting and unpleasant it was to be resisting something that's outside of my control, it's just unpleasant. It's just hearing. It's just sound. And then there's the reactivity in the heart. So many of you might be familiar with the teaching of the two arrows that the Buddha gave. Is anyone not familiar with that teaching? Okay. So the teaching of the two arrows, the Buddha says, what's the difference between myself and the disciples in, in my community who have practiced and understood these teachings and an ordinary person? What's the difference? Because everyone experiences unpleasant sensations in life. That's the same for everyone. And that's like getting hit with an, with, with an arrow, or sometimes it's translated as a dart. Everyone gets hit with the first dart. It's just part of being alive. He said the difference is that somebody who hasn't heard, practiced, and understood these teachings, when they're hit with that first arrow of unpleasant feeling, they shoot a second arrow of resisting, complaining, beating their breast and saying, why? Why is this happening? Woe is me. Where did this come from? How can I make it go away? When will it end? And in reacting and resisting and stirring up all of this agitation inside against an unpleasant feeling, an unpleasant physical feeling, they add an unpleasant mental feeling and so shoot themselves with a second arrow. Those who have understood and practiced this teaching, when experiencing an unpleasant physical feeling, the mind does not react. It does not add anything extra, lamenting, resisting, reacting. And so they only experience an unpleasant physical feeling without adding the unpleasant mental feeling. So I was adding that unpleasant mental feeling, reacting, resisting. Why is this happening? What's wrong with him? Doesn't he know this is a silent retreat? Can't he tell that, you know, the mind's spinning stories 
and getting really agitated. And at some point, the mind let go, stopped resisting. He was still sucking that candy. The sound was the same. Nothing changed in the external world, but the heart was at peace. So this is a different kind of freedom. This is not about arranging things in our life to be the way we want them, getting him to stop making that noise. This is when equanimity is present, the heart is clear and open, stable, in the face of pleasant and unpleasant experiences. The Buddha described it this way. He says, when a pleasant, describing the, the night of his awakening and his enlightenment, when pleasant feelings arose and when unpleasant feelings arose, he says, it did not invade my mind and remain. Or it could be translated, it did not invade my heart and remain, because the word for heart and mind are the same. So there's this way that pleasant and unpleasant, whether it's sitting and feeling some you know, unpleasant heat or aching sensation, it invades the heart-mind, right? It gets in there like that sucking candy noise. It invades the mind and remains. It grips us. And equanimity allows the heart to remain unshaken, stable, open, at peace with those uh, pleasant and unpleasant sensory contact. And if we start to examine and look closely at the larger events of our life, gain and loss, praise and blame, fame and disrepute, pleasure and pain, we will see that it's the pleasant and unpleasantness that we are reacting to. It's the pleasure or pain in the body or the pleasure or pain of the perception, the meaning. I've won, I am successful. The perception of success and the pleasure of that we become intoxicated with. Or the perception of failure, the meaning the mind makes of that. And then we become oppressed by the unpleasantness of the perception of the meaning in the heart and the mind. So this uh, place of sensory contact in the body, which includes seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, progressively more and more intimate. Seeing is out there. Hearing is a little bit more intimate. Smelling is even more intimate. Tasting and then touching, the most intimate. And the mind, the heart, the contact at the heart, the meanings that we make of life. That point of contact and the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feeling there is, is where we suffer based on the reactivity, shooting that second arrow, and where freedom comes, when the mind stays stable and balanced, where it's not moved. So equanimity is a genuine kind of non-resistance. And this is, we're cultivating this all along the way in mindfulness practice. From the very beginning of mindfulness practice, we're learning how to be with experience in a balanced way, to not resist or control or manipulate, to not fight against what's happening. 
And this kind of non-resistance, this equanimity, allows us to relate to like loneliness and wonder in the same way. Fear and sadness can be experienced with the same kind of balance as feeling the breeze or hearing a bird. Because that quality of pushing and pulling against experience has quieted in the mind. And so things can be known and felt and passed through. This doesn't preclude taking action. This doesn't mean that if something is impinging on our safety or well-being or the safety or well-being of others that we can't take action. It just means we're not reacting. And we'll look at that more tomorrow when we explore equanimity and um, our actions in life. So this quality of non-resistance, when it's, when it's fully developed, we see and relate to life as, as just this process of change. And there can be a, an experience of the poignancy of life. And that the result is a profound inner stillness that, that receives experience just as it is. As the mind stops arguing and fighting with reality. And this is sometimes referred to as a foretaste of enlightenment. The, the state of equanimity, of balance and peacefulness is, is talked about as being very close to the experience of awakening. The heart is, is resting in a state of, of stillness and, and balance and peace. So how do we develop this level of equanimity from the changing events of our life, recognizing that they're just conditions, that they come and go, to working with the actual embodied sense of attachment or resistance that we feel to pleasure and pain? So this is where the training of meditation really comes in the question that you asked earlier, of really working with the forces in the mind and really feeling and sensing what attachment, uh, what the experience of attachment is. And by attachment, I mean control, trying to hold on, or resistance, aversion, not wanting, really feeling what those feel like in the heart and allowing the heart to understand how to let go, allowing the heart to come into balance, So there are a few principles for working with this. One of the, um, one of the best training grounds for developing uh, a felt understanding for practicing with equanimity in this way is working with unpleasant sensations in the body. Because it's very tangible, very real and practical. We don't like unpleasant sensations for good reason. But a lot of the unpleasant sensations we experience actually aren't that big a deal. You know, the ones that we can do something about, we do. You know, and if you have an injury, you do what you can to take care of it. 
you cut yourself, you clean it out, you put a Band-Aid on it, you know, and, you know, all different levels of that basic process. But a lot of the unpleasant sensations we experience are just passing. Even with chronic pain, which I've dealt with for various periods in my life, it comes and goes. It comes and goes. And so the mind's relationship to unpleasant sensation is a training ground for developing equanimity, for developing equanimity with emotions, for developing equanimity with the events of our life, with perceptions of failure or worthlessness or inadequacy or helplessness, much, much more complicated and challenging experiences, begins with this building block of how do I relate with a painful sensation? Can I be with the experience of resisting and not wanting and find balance with that? So there's some, there's some principles here in working with, um, with reactivity in the mind and the heart. The key principle, um, it sounds a little bit like a tautology, but is to stay balanced, which means not getting overwhelmed or flooded. Um, one of the ways of putting this is don't go in if you can't get out. So this is a kind of a rule of firefighting. You know, firefighters don't go into a burning building if there isn't an exit. And so it's the same in working with challenging situations, whether it's an unpleasant sensation or an emotion. We need some, as we started the day with, we need some ground. We need some resilience, some resource. There needs to be a reference point outside of that challenge, of that, say, unpleasant sensation, in order to explore it. So another way of putting this is that the wholesome qualities in your mind should be at least as strong, if not stronger, than the unpleasantness or the unwholesome qualities in your mind. And so what I mean by that is that qualities like mindfulness, patience, equanimity, interest, kindness, compassion, the healthy qualities of mind need to be present in order to be with the resistance, the hatred, the aversion, the control. Otherwise, if they're not at least in balance, what's going to happen is those unhealthy tendencies are just going to get strengthened. So the first principle is don't go in if you can't get out. If it's too strong, Change the channel. Redirect your attention. Come back to resourcing, grounding, finding some balance. You know, if you're doing sitting meditation, open the eyes, look around, take a walk, pick up the phone, talk to someone. Establish the right initial conditions of having some resilience, some groundedness, enough wholesomeness and strength in the mind to actually be with and explore that which is challenging and difficult. So this is the core principle. We tend to get sucked in. We will tend to get sucked into the resistance, the not wanting, the fighting against it. So every time the mind gets, sort of starts to get trapped, or we notice that we're really losing balance, that's the time to try to back off, to step out of what's happening with your attention, 
or, or literally, kind of with your activities, what you're, what you're actually doing. And so this is about learning to honor our nervous system, learning to really trust the signals that our mind and body are sending us so that we're building strength slowly, little by little, to tolerate more and more difficult experiences. That's how equanimity grows. Equanimity grows at the edges of our reactivity, not in the center where it's the hardest. It's like if you cut yourself, the scab forms, the wound heals around the edges, slowly, 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 until it's completely healed. So when there's something difficult or challenging, an unpleasant sensation, everything from an unpleasant sensation to, you know, an anguishing loss, equanimity grows at the edges. The tendency is to want to dive into the middle, right? We don't, that's like going into the fire without an exit route. It's not going to be helpful generally. So, to put a little bit of framing and structure on this. So again, as we were talking about this morning, the first step as much as possible, or the first uh, tool, is to step back. Just that sense of acknowledging what's happening, noting what's happening. Okay, so some unpleasant sensation in the body. Oh, this is unpleasant. Putting a frame around it. Using that capacity of the mind to recognize what's happening, which starts to give us a little bit of space. As soon as we name something, there's a relationship with it. We're no longer completely identified and lost in it. We've, we've stepped back at least a little bit to acknowledge, okay, this is what's happening. Oh, loneliness. That's what this is. I'm feeling lonely. Okay. Now there's at least some recognition. Then bringing in some wisdom. Same thing as we were exploring this morning. Having, having right view to understand you know, this is subject to change. This painful sensation in my knee, this splitting headache is conditioned. It's not forever, even though it feels that way. It will try to trick us into believing that it will last forever. But it does anything? So to understand, to recognize this is transient, subject to change. It's uh, what's, what's known in Buddhism as dependently co-arisen. It's come into being due to all kinds of different conditions. And it will change when those conditions change. So bringing in some wisdom. And then checking. Checking for resource. How's my, how are my reserves? Do I have enough energy? Is there enough balance? Is there enough strength? and resilience inside to be with this experience, to explore it. If not, back off. Build your resources. Go back to the foundation. You know, have a cup of tea, put on some soothing music, take a walk, draw, spend some time with the pet, you know, whatever, it, whatever is needed to, to find that, that space inside that has a vitality, a, 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 a bounce to it. So step back, name what's happening, bring in some wisdom, recognize, okay, this is, this is changing. This is not forever. This is here due to certain conditions. And then checking, do I have 
Do I have enough mindfulness and equanimity? Is there enough resilience and resource inside to explore and be with this? This doesn't need to be a long process. As you practice, that ability to check and see, is this too much, can happen very quickly. So if it's not, we regroup. We orient. We we reestablish some resources. Um, If there is enough resource, then we begin to explore. So we bring our attention to the edges of that sensation, if it's a physical sensation or experience, if it's more of an emotional sensation, and try to maintain awareness there. To see, can I bring my attention to that point of contact, to allow the heart to contract, to feel the resistance, to feel the part inside that says, no, I don't want this to be happening. And just hold attention there with patience, with kindness, with tenderness, to allow the heart to contract, but to bring awareness right there to that edge of the reactivity. That's where equanimity grows. Being with the reactivity with a little bit of balance that we can meet. And the equanimity, will, it will come in and out. It will fade in and out. We'll we'll get lost in the reactivity, and then the equanimity comes back, and there's a little bit of balance. And then we get lost, and then it comes back. And just staying with that process, really observing those changes. And then always keeping like one finger on the pulse of the amount of resource you have, checking if am I getting overwhelmed, and learning to modulate your attention to keep from getting flooded. So there, there are tools you can use with your awareness, with your attention to modulate, such as widening your awareness, becoming aware of your whole body or sound or space getting very big with your awareness, or touching into the difficult sensation and then backing away, touching in and then taking a break. Kind of, this is called uh, pendulating in some forms of healing. You, you, you come in and then you go out, and you come in and you go out, and it's a way of balancing the level of activation in your nervous system so that we don't get overwhelmed, so that we stay balanced. And just looking at the overall trajectory as we're practicing, is the mind becoming more flexible, more open and steady? If so, we're moving in the right direction. Is the mind becoming more brittle and exhausted or tired or agitated? Then then it's not useful practice. So to really track the result of what's happening and see where is this leading? Is this deepening qualities in the mind that are healthy and helpful? Or is it just tiring me out and the mind's becoming brittle and agitated? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support Oren's work, you can donate at orenjsofer.com forward slash support. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.